You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge, life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. Fair to say, this lockdown is lasting far longer than just about anyone expected. There is a reason for that. The dangers from the COVID pandemic are still very much with us. But after months and months in this long, drawn-out battle, the question now is, what's our exit strategy? I'm Keith Benconi. This is KCBS In-Depth, and today in the program... We're going to be diving back in once again to the science of this pandemic to get a better handle on the big decisions that are still ahead of us as we try to manage this health crisis in the closing months of 2020. Helping me out, we're going to welcome on two scientific minds that I, for one, have found invaluable as I've tried to get a handle on the news of the last seven months. Uh, first up, we are welcoming on Dr. Marm Kilpatrick, who studies infectious diseases at UC Santa Cruz's Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. Dr. Kilpatrick, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thank you. Good to be here. Welcoming on as well, Dr. Monica Gandhi, an infectious disease physician at UC San Francisco, uh, who we've spoken to before about the science of face masks. Welcome to the program, Dr. Monica Gandhi. Thank you for having me. So, of course, this conversation follows follows up our interview last week discussing the controversial Great Barrington Declaration, uh, essentially a coalition of medical experts calling for an early end to the lockdown. That call met with widespread pushback from many, many others in the medical community, and uh, we heard a bit from both sides in that conversation last week. But in the 30 minutes we had, it definitely felt like we left an awful lot of questions unanswered. And also we're saying, you know, these are not necessarily black and white questions. There is a spectrum of opening up, closing down. So I think we also left some important perspectives unexplored as well. So we are going to circle back this week to hopefully do this very complex topic just a little bit more justice. Uh, Very happy to have both of our guests here today. feel like they've uh, both spoken with an awful lot of clarity on COVID science over the course of this pandemic. And uh, with topics this big, this complex, clarity is just what the doctor ordered. So starting with you, Dr. Marm Kilpatrick, again with UC Santa Cruz. Broadest of questions, and I'll let you take it wherever you want. Um, You've been following the debate over the lockdown uh, pretty closely. How necessary are these lockdown measures at this point, and what should our strategy for managing this pandemic be going forward? So that's obviously a great big question, Keith, and I think the challenge as I see it is that transmission of this virus seems to occur um, in multiple places and ways, and I think one of the biggest challenges is trying to... uh, allow as many of our uh, businesses and different institutions and sectors open as possible, but at the same time is sending a clear message to people that we need to take measures to keep ourselves safe and reduce transmission. So let me give you a very clear example. So if we, let's say, have restaurants open for indoor dining, let's say throughout the state of California, um, we now have quite a few measures that we can put into place that, that substantially reduce the risk of transmission under those settings. Don't take it to zero, but reduce it substantially. And those are things like having the tables be you know, at least six feet apart, um, having the, the waiter or the servers have masks, um, having adequate ventilation inside restaurants, things like that, limiting capacity so that we have really lower risks of transmission. The challenge, as I see it, is that uh, by having restaurants open, for many people, I think they, have struggle, they struggle to see if it's okay to go have uh, dinner with someone, then why isn't it okay to have a small party at your house? 
And so basically the same kind of signaling that we're doing by having restaurants open or other businesses or sectors open can sometimes lead people to take um, to basically do behaviors or take actions that are not safe and that can lead to transmission. And so um, in the county where I live um, and work, uh, for example, uh, there sometimes uh, there have been actually a numerous gatherings um, in celebration of things like Mother's Day, Father's Day, graduation parties, things like that, that people have. And I think they people often can decide whether or not to have these kinds of gatherings based on what they perceive as the risk of this disease in their community at the time. And I think that having certain sectors of businesses open or not, unfortunately, sends a signal about the risk of these types of activities. And so the challenges I see it is that that there need not be a tight connection between the two. It's possible for us to actually have many business sectors open that carry very little risk if, and actually we could keep transmission low if simultaneously we could have everyone also maintaining the same behaviors in their kind of personal and social lives. And so the challenge is that I think that we seem to see a relatively strong correlation where when we open up many, many different business sectors, uh, cases seems to rise a bunch, even if much of that transmission is actually not occurring in those business sectors that we've actually opened. So, so as I see it, it's really kind of a, a a mixture of um, a challenge in clear public health signaling to people um, that makes it difficult for us to have all the sectors we want to have open and do so safely. And I think one of the ones that's the most challenging now is um, is that, that I think is one of the most important is schools. So I think uh, all the scientists that I know and have talked to and worked with uh, really think that the importance of having schools open, especially for both younger children as well as um, children that have learning disabilities, is really, really, really important. Um, but a challenge, of course, is that if the schools are open, does that signal to people that it's safe to also have other kinds of gatherings? And of course, that's not what we're trying to say by having schools open. We're saying these kinds of gatherings do carry risk, but they're worth the trade-offs. Whereas if we can, we need to limit the other kinds of these gatherings, so social gatherings or things like that. So that's just, a, a I guess, a, a little bit of a broad perspective that I have on the challenges in trying to maximize the number of businesses and sectors that we can have open while not giving um, accidentally bad signaling that it's totally safe to have normal kinds of interactions where you go out and, with people that you don't live with and have close interactions where you either have conversations with them or meals with them over a couple hour time in, in an indoor setting where we know the transmission risk is high. All right. So a uh, picture we're getting right there is that perhaps a little bit more opening or uh, maybe even a lot more opening would be possible uh, if safety measures were rigorously adhered to. But that obviously uh, is a challenge. It's uh, getting everybody to get their guard up all at the same time. A challenge even uh, just, you know, getting yourself to get your guard up uh, every day in every way uh, has been challenging for many of us, myself included. Uh, Dr. Monica Gandhi, again, with UC San Francisco, what would you add to that picture in terms of the course out of all this? You know, I think that it is a false debate between lockdown and um, this, uh, you know, so-called Barrington report and um, and not lockdown. Um, so I think the issue is that it is now um, essentially nine to eleven months into the pandemic, depending on the region of the world. This has been um, going on for an extremely long time. There are great and devastating effects of keeping businesses, schools, and everything closed in terms of the poor. And let's get away from the word economy because I think that's complicated. I think it is truly those that are essential workers and um, people who have to work to provide our food and have to go to the hospital every day if they're a healthcare worker that have actually been working every single day since the beginning of the pandemic. And it is exactly what you know, Dr. Kilpatrick just said that really there are ways to keep people safe and yet still maintain 
essential functions and we have to expand our definition of essential functions. And so what I mean by that is it's like, as, as Dr. Fauci said, it's actually not rocket science. So it's quite simple. Um, you have to social distance. So six feet has become the magic number. I don't know if that's really required. You have to facially mask. And I think any conflict about masking at this point, though I do understand it because people feel it takes away liberties, is um, if that conflict, if we can keep on providing more and more data, I'm hoping that conflict will go away because um, it, I, I fundamentally think that's how Asia has opened up and has been open for months and months and months because they don't have this issue with facial masking. Third is um, selective testing. I would not test everyone every day. I absolutely disagree with that. Um, and some scientists have been propounding that. I think that is gonna drain our resources. Um, so it will be selective testing. Please do remember that in health systems, I've been at work every day since March 1st and in grocery stores, we do not do testing. Um, so selective testing when required um, and then following up on that testing. So that would be isolation, quarantine and contact tracing based on the results of those testing. With those measures, almost everything can be opened up. And it is false to say that, um, it, that it doesn't matter that businesses can stay closed. It's false to say that people um, who have to work for a living uh, don't have to work for a living. And in fact, I will say that unless this country, like some European countries did at the beginning, closed down businesses and then provided ongoing stipends for everyone who has to stay at home, who can't stay at home because um, the tech company workers can, but some cannot, their businesses have to be open. Unless we provided ongoing stipends, unless we provided a place for childcare because we closed the schools, then it is unfair to, segment, to almost many segments of society, not the privileged, but it is very unfair to many segments of society to keep things closed. When we now have the public health measures, we have the knowledge of how to keep open and be safe. All right. So uh, hearing a lot of uh, interesting insights into pandemic policy going forward, I uh, want to remind anybody who's just joining us that you are listening to KCBS In-Depth, a weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, we are continuing our conversation on pandemic science and the logic of lockdown. Joining us to share their insights, we're speaking to Dr. Marm Kilpatrick, who studies infectious diseases at UC Santa Cruz's Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology, as well as Dr. Monica Gandhi, infectious disease physician at UC San Francisco. So obviously, both of you are laying out the examples of many of the things that we've learned about this pandemic and uh, how to stay safe during it since the pandemic began. We have learned an awful lot. And, uh, you know, for example, outdoor meeting outdoors is a lot safer than indoors. And there are ways that we can use that to uh, allow, you know, our freedom of movement to be a little bit broader than it once was. But I want to make sure that we keep the stakes of this conversation uh, front and center. Going back to you, Dr. Kilpatrick, uh, I mean, we, we, we've been hearing about from our public um, health officials here in the Bay Area, the challenges and the possible risks of opening back up too early, uh, pointing back to, you know, the California's reopening in June, causing spikes in July, and uh, the, the, the potential risk that some of those early early predictions about the number of deaths we might see here in America ranging into the high hundreds of thousands or even the millions. Uh, a lot of uh, folks are still saying that that is a possibility if we uh, mess this up going forward. Uh, would you agree that the stakes are still that high in terms of you know getting our pandemic management correct? Unfortunately, I think I would agree. Um, so I think one of the huge challenges as I see it going forwards 
um, somewhat in California, but especially in the northeast and midwestern part of the U.S., where the they don't have California weather, is that uh, as the temperatures get cold, there is going to be this real challenge of uh, how can people safely basically get together and do social activities that they really are going to want to do and therefore are probably going to do uh, whether it's safe or not. So, so I think in California right now, for example, personally, if I want to see a friend that I don't live with, I go and I meet them outside and we go for a walk somewhere where we can always have plenty of space between us. Um, we might sit on a beach where there's a lot of space, places like that. I think the challenges I see, especially in the wintertime, is that um, if you live in New York City um, and you want to meet up with a friend you don't live with, how can you do that in a safe way when, let's say, it's you know 12 degrees outside and very cold? It's really the the spaces that are that you can meet together safely with people you don't live with is really quite challenging as the weather gets um, more and more poor. Um, and I think the other part that is additionally challenging, I guess, is um, is maintaining, uh, yeah, also kind of safe safe environments for work and things like that as we do try to open up sectors, um, trying to do so in a way that keeps all the workers safe and, and I think in, uh, emphasizing or supporting some of the comments that Dr. Gandhi was saying, a really key part of this that I think has not quite been fully appreciated is how important it is to provide um, uh, adequate and safe uh, compensation for people that basically either can't go to work because their sector of business, let's say, isn't safe, like let's say a music venue or a, you know, a loud bar or something like that, or those people that need to basically have a very short time where they can't go to work because, either because they're quarantining or isolating. And so I think one of the huge challenges that we've now uncovered through the last six or eight months of research is that practices that basically incentivize or penalize people for taking a sick day when they do have, let's say, mild symptoms and going and getting tested. And as a result of that, they, they go on to actually, say, go to their job for several more days when they have mild symptoms and accidentally basically spread the virus to other people. A lot of the time, I think that's actually occurring because those people don't feel like they have either um, the they're either going to be penalized for missing those days of work or they don't have safe isolation space to go in or it's not easy enough for them to actually go get a test and find out whether or not that scratchy throat they have or that cough or their mild fever is just say allergies or a cold or in fact is actually the coronavirus. So I feel like those key pieces make it so that if we don't really have those things in place, then uh, especially with the kind of shifting into uh, worse weather where we're going to be doing more activities inside, that creates the possibility for really elevated rates of transmission. And then because this virus um, can really get going big and fast and in quite a hurry, as people might recall, we had doubling times on the order of about a week. So the number of cases were actually doubling every week. So if we kind of engage in normal social behavior, especially indoor unsafe settings, um, the virus can kind of get out of control very quickly. So we obviously have to do what we can to avoid that. Thankfully, we have lots of ways to do that now. We know things we need to do, as Dr. Gandhi said. And I think the challenges I see, and I would actually love to hear Dr. Gandhi's perspective of ways that we can try to get people to be able to do things more safely and to do things more safely um, when things are kind of, you know, when we do have more and more of these sectors open. So as I see it, the challenge from, say, the governor's perspective of California is that as cases start to rise, what measures should they put into place besides business closures that would have the same effect that we've seen so far as business closures? It seems to me that, unfortunately, when we have increasingly closed down sets of businesses, the cases do seem to subside a bit, which is exactly the effect we wanted to have. But as Dr. Gandhi and I both agree, that's an extremely damaging way to manage this epidemic. And the question is, what can we do instead of that to still have the same effect of basically driving cases back down? And I think that's the big challenge in front of us. All right. Well, Dr. Kilpatrick is doing uh, my job for me, asking a, a very incisive question. And we'll put it to you, Dr. Gandhi, again with UC San Francisco. What can be done if, and, and, and this is something that I believe that uh, public health officials have been struggling with since the pandemic began. There's the there's the question of what policy do you make? There's the question of what statements do you make? And then there's the question of what message does the general public receive? And uh, it's a very tricky interplay between all of those various different things. And as Dr. Kilpatrick has been saying, if you open up 
up one sector, it could give the impression that everything is safe to go back to normal. So uh, a lot of the measures that you're talking about, whether we're talking about masking or social distancing or or air purification, a lot of these things, uh, getting good airflow through, uh, require people being very diligent and very responsible. And if there is the general sense that things are lifting, things are getting better, the threat is gone, uh, is it reasonable to expect that level of responsibility? You know, I think that California has been a model over the last couple months, right? Because what happened in July and August is that uh, the state got really scared and there was a clear and um, very phased um, stopping of reopening and then a very clear with even color combinations, different tiers, purple, red, yellow, um, orange, um, way to think about the level of risk based on the community prevalence and Based on all of that, there was a phased approach. It was profoundly organized. It was actually the kind of um, thing that you would have wanted from the federal government. Um, I think what California hasn't done well has been to persistently and continually support the poor. Um, so this is not something that we do well in this country at all. And I, again, point to European countries, some as doing a much better job with this. And so that would involve, for example, essential workers whose uh, children are home because the public schools are closed, um, uh, supplying um, ways of childcare and also um, supplying funding for people who have to isolate and quarantine because I certainly wouldn't ever test if I thought I uh, could lose days of work um, that uh, is essential for feeding my family. So California didn't do a good job, but no one does a good job with that in this country, unfortunately. Um, but they did do a good job at spelling things out. And because of that spelling things Eventually, out, we should point out, it was uh, there, there, there were several months uh, with profound lack of clarity that we saw in a number of ways. But yes, uh, the, the, the tier system that we have uh, is yes, definitely Yes, I helpful. meant... No, that's very fair. I meant actually after July and August. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that's a very fair point that I don't mean from the beginning. I meant after the surge in the summer. Yeah, yeah. And because of that, things got really clean and really systematic. And right now we are confronting a situation where many states in the country are uh, having surging cases and um, uh, California is not. And I think it is, again, that organized um, sort of uh, state response that we would have hoped to have had an organized federal response, because I think we would have been through this by now, um, that showed the difference in this particular state. I also want to mention that there are ways to help compliance without shaming people. So I'm really, really um, disturbed just because I'm an HIV doctor and I use, uh, I have watched the stigmatization of patients for the last uh, many years um, who have an infectious disease to use words like you're not being safe, you're not being careful, you're not being good enough. And I mean good. Um, And there are statements that are made that are really disturbing to me in the shaming of the public. Um, I think that... And so that rings back to you of uh, what we heard during the HIV epidemic and uh, some of the stigmatization that occurred uh, back there. Right. It's kind of like, for example, are you being good by wearing a condom? Um, are you being good by wearing a mask and using higher, using terms that imply uh, uh, sort of a moral bearing? And I uh, I find that very disturbing just because I've I've done HIV for many years and we're a pretty we use we employ a very harm reduction approach in our uh, public health messaging. So what do I think helps compliance? Um, I actually think it helps to have uh, handing out masks at the gate. So what I mean by that is I spoke to someone in Japan yesterday and I've been following Taiwan and Japan. And again, I think we have to turn to our Asian country 
uh, neighbors about how they've enforced mask wearing. And it's sort of like you can't even get into the building without being handed the mask, right? It's actually mask provision, mask modeling, uh, mask education, um, at billboards, um, and more and more data around it and a gentle and kind way to persuade people instead of saying wear an F mask, which is a <laughs> particular statement that really, really bothers me. I think that's exactly the wrong approach to get anyone to listen to anyone. Um, so it, yeah. it, it can actually backfire if you're if you're moralizing it and telling people that they're doing something wrong. Uh, it can make people defensive. Not, yeah, not only defensive, but this is complicated. I it, let's just remind ourselves this is complicated. A massive proportion of the population with SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, is asymptomatic. That is an absolute fact. By the way. We have never had a mass campaign with influenza where we swab everyone in sight and see how the proportion of those who are asymptomatic with influenza. I doubt it because I think that they're uh, more likely to be symptomatic. But my point is there's a large proportion of the population say asymptomatic. This is where people have gotten the idea that it's a hoax and it doesn't matter. And it is important to say that that is a real phenomenon. That is a difference between this virus and others. And so to shame people instead of clearly explaining that we can get back to a different place with compliance with these measures. And one thing is so simple, which is the mask wearing and making it comfortable and figuring out ways to make it easy and handing out masks so people don't have to find it. I think that would really help. All right. Uh, for anybody just joining us, I want to let you know that you are listening to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, we're talking about managing the pandemic risk, and we're considering what options are still on the table after seven months of lockdown. Joining us, we have on Dr. Marm Kilpatrick, who we heard from a little bit earlier, studies infectious disease at UC Santa Cruz. Just heard from Dr. Monica Gandhi, an infectious disease physician at UC San Francisco. So... The picture that the both of you are outlining right now is one that's uh, somewhat hopeful about our capability to manage the current risk with the tools that we have learned since the pandemic began. And uh, Dr. Monica Gandhi, uh, going back to you for just a second, you, you're suggesting that uh, some of these lockdown measures uh, wouldn't really be necessary if we really could double down on uh, some of these tools that uh, that we know work, the social distancing, the masking, the uh, various other safety measures. But you, you know, we, this is just this very past week um, is the week that San Francisco entered the yellow tier, the lowest on the uh, governor's tiered reopening plan. Uh, much of the Bay Area is also in relatively good standing on that tier list as compared to the rest of California. And uh, I think that local health officials would be quick to point to their uh, own policy for getting us there. Uh, the saying that some of these lockdown measures, this is proof positive that this is having an impact. This has made the difference in uh, getting the Bay Area to these relatively low infection rates. Um, uh, do, do, do you think that there's any credence to that? Um, of course, there is definitely credence to that, but it's at what expense? So what I mean by that is I uh, there's absolute credence to that. This is great that we're doing so well. Now, this is what I would do if I were in charge of the world, if I was in charge of the city, for example. <laughs> I would immediately give a reward to this population that has worked so hard and has suffered for so long, for so enduringly, and I would open the public schools. Um, I would uh, figure out, we have one, like uh, uh, Dr. Kilpatrick said, we have great weather. We have the, a natural form of ventilation before we can get to our HEPA filters. We have the ability uh, to uh, do, impose universal masking. And by the way, children can mask. And it would be such a reward to the population to say, 
oh, look what you've done. And I do understand how important children are. That is, a, that is the focus of our society because it allows you to go to work as a parent. And I would sort of follow things. I'm not actually talking about indoor restaurants and bars as much, even though I definitely sympathize with those owners. This children thing, this aspect of schools being closed, it affects many segments of society. Mm, yeah, a, a difficult set of questions there. Of course, we've been hearing from a number of teachers unions uh, worried about the safety of teachers uh, and uh, the possibility that the schools could become a vector of spread. And, uh, and I know that a number of districts are really rushing to get the infrastructure in place as quickly as possible, you know, improved ventilation, uh, various barriers that can uh, prevent the spread within classrooms. So uh, obviously a lot of work that's going on there as well that uh, should be given a fair amount of credit. But one one thing I'd just like to interrupt and quickly say, Dr. Naomi Bardock had a piece in the Chronicle yesterday, which was really important. It is the time to try to open schools when the community prevalence is low. That is the time. It starts giving people confidence. It allows people to build the structure. It allows people to to get over uh, the understandable anxiety. And so it is, it, it's, it's taking advantage of when there are low times to do things essentially to with these known safety principles to allow reopening. It, this is the time for these things. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. And I think that that leads to a, a good question that I'd like to uh, put to Dr. Kilpatrick. So whether we're talking about schools or whether we're talking about other possible um, venues that can be opened up, this was also this past week, uh, California uh, put a plan in place to reopen some uh, outdoor sporting events and uh, theme parks, uh, whereas Santa Clara County uh, put the kibosh on that, made it very clear that that's not going to be happening anytime soon. Uh, so there are a number of ways that uh, on the margin could be opened up little by little. Would you say that this is the time with infection rates as low as they are? This is the time for some level of experimentation, seeing if uh, we can push this a bit further? So I, I would, and I would actually agree with Dr. Gandhi that I think one of the, probably the most important thing we can do to uh, really support our overall society is actually to get schools back open. I would argue that it's especially important for younger children that we know don't do nearly as well with any of the online schooling. Um, so trying to get, uh, you know, for sure the, all the grade schools open. Um, there's some evidence that transmission in high schools um, is uh, probably similar to in adult populations. And so the risk there is certainly higher than in some of the younger schools. Um, but and, and I think that's actually positive because I think that the just the way that the uh, the ways the different ages interact with virtual learning seems to make it really a lot harder for younger children. So I think if we could get the younger age schools open in person, that would be fantastic. And I think what we really need to do, as Dr. Gandhi has been discussing, is put those things in place that we know will substantially reduce the risk of transmission. And so those, I think the the main tools that we've all been talking about for unfortunately, I think six or eight months now, and so it's not really new rocket science, it's literally just masks, distance, and ventilation would go a giant, giant way to reducing the risk in schools. And if we can basically open the schools when community transmission is low, then evidence suggests from many different places in the world, that's the time we're going to have the least amount of transmission happening in the schools as well. So I think that should be a really a top priority. And I think uh, another thing that a lot of scientists have been saying that I can only uh, yeah, very strongly support is that we should think about priorities. And so uh, if we can, if we do have to give up something, um, I think we should probably prioritize schools near the very, very top of that list and probably try to have those open before we open another sector if we have to trade things off. And so I think having schools open is, is really important, both for the, the children themselves, but also, as Dr. Gandhi is saying, uh, that actually has huge ripple effects on all the other, um, basically the parents and the other parts of those uh, households 
that that positively benefit from having uh, our children in schools. So I would put schools at the top, and then I think we can go down the list from there. And, and I would actually uh, support, I think, the overall message that Dr. Gandhi is saying, which is asking, what are those sectors that might actually provide the most jobs for people, especially uh, jobs uh, in the relatively lower paying income sectors where people really are depending on you know, every week's paycheck and try to get those sectors as safe and as open as early as possible as well. And so I think uh, one of the challenges of that is that I think some of the sectors um, carry more risk than others. Um, and I would say indoor dining is one of those. I think it can be made relatively safe, but not 100% safe. But uh, just having looked at some of the numbers myself, the rest, indoor restaurant industry employs a huge number of people and uh, quite a few of those people are living paycheck to paycheck. And so if, if we can basically do things to make that environment as safe as possible and then provide, as we said before, incentives for people taking you know a sick day to get tested um, and, and safely isolate or quarantine as needed, that will also keep that uh, the overall population safer. So uh, I think I strongly support the overall notion of trying to get as many people as possible back to work. And I would just add to that that we really, if we could, if we could really uh, amplify the messaging that's, I, I feel like has not been happening as strongly, which is to say, we're going to open schools, but we can only keep them open if we do these other things to keep ourselves safe. And that means, as Dr. Gandhi is also emphasizing, providing the uh, both the masks, the individual masks themselves, but also the overall structures that have to be in place to allow us to kind of uh, keep ourselves safe and, and be able to safely isolate or safely quarantine if we need to. So I just feel like there needs to be this paired messaging where people uh, hear both that schools are open, but don't take that as a signal that then it's okay to have, let's say, a party at our house. If we can know that basically we need to stay, basically keep our social interactions safe in order to keep schools open, in order to keep, let's say, the restaurants open that we want to be able to eat at or that are providing those jobs, gyms, all kinds of uh, sectors like that. So this kind of combination of both a strong communication program and the tools and facilities and programs in place to allow people to basically uh, keep themselves and their community safe. I feel like that's our real ticket to basically having as much of our economy and, and jobs and, and livelihoods available. And at the same time, keeping our transmission under control and not uh, letting it out, get out of hand again. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, just a couple of short minutes left, uh, but uh, just a few more questions I'd like to put to you both uh, very, very briefly. And uh, the question that comes up for me in hearing uh, both of your comments a moment ago is, is is some level of increased transmission acceptable? You know, uh, the, the measures that you're talking about uh, would put more people into contact with one another and would uh, create some amount more risk uh, for the uh, transmission of this virus. Is is do we need to accept that uh, we we will inevitably take on some more uh, transmission rates as we open up? And is is that acceptable, Doctor Kilpatrick? Briefly to you. Well, let me actually pass that to Doctor Gandhi to start with because I didn't. I think she didn't get a chance to, talk, to reply last time, so I'll pass it to her first. Yeah, that's you pass it to me because that's a hard question. Um, <laughs> so. Um, you know, I, it's likely that that will happen. So uh, what has happened in many Asian countries, and, and I'm sorry I keep on quoting them, but they've just done so well because of the non-controversy of masking and so forth. Um, they have opened up their economies, and as they open things up and they go into public transportation and whatnot, they see increases in cases, but they don't see increase in severity of illness and hospitalizations and deaths. And, and that's the theory that we've been propounding that social distancing and masking um, does likely reduce the viral inoculum or dose to which you're exposed, so it can affect the severity of disease. Um, the patients uh, or people who have comorbidities or older age um, would be more susceptible, and those would be the people that we would be protecting. Um, but yes, I think that cases will go up, and I think we have to now take a step back, 
go and watch our Asian neighbors and um, understand how they did it, which was with full compliance to safety measures as things went up. But sometimes cases would go up. Hmm. Uh, Dr. Kilpatrick, anything you'd add to that? Sure. I guess one thing I want to try to remind everyone that maybe isn't studying infectious diseases for a living is that there's this crucial quantity we have with uh, infectious diseases, which is the number of cases that each case gives rise to. So basically, just simply put, if I get infected, do I go on to infect, on average, uh, one other person, two other people, or just on average, let's say half of another person. So obviously you can't have a half a person, of course, but if there's say five of us that are infected and we go on to infect two other people, then over time, the number of cases will fall. And so while you're completely correct that if we increase or open additional business sectors and that increases the number of contacts people have, as long as that increase keeps this numbers of cases per case to less than one, then we can actually still have the cases falling over time. They'll basically fall slower if we get closer and closer to that magical one cutoff. But if we can basically limit transmission so that each case gives rise to less than one other case, then the number of cases will fall over time. And that's I would see that that is the real major goal, is basically to try to maximize as much of our uh, lives and economy and sectors back to normal as possible and as much um, jobs and benefits as we can have while maintaining that number of kind of new cases per case at less than one. All right. So, yeah, that's a very interesting point. And uh, basically saying uh, some amount of increase, perhaps acceptable, but there is a cutoff where we start hitting that exponential increase that we've been trying to avoid uh, this entire time. So there's uh, there's trade-offs here and there's complicated questions and uh, difficult decisions to be made going forward. Um, in closing, uh, just because both of you are hammering this point about messaging uh, again and again and again, I think that that's an appropriate uh, place to leave this conversation. Uh, Dr. Gandhi, if you could just re-emphasize uh, one more time in terms of uh, the personal responsibility that uh, we should all be taking, what are the measures that need to happen to allow more reopening to take place? One thing I'd really like to say is that I think we have to trust um, our government and public health officials. And because of the lack of trust um, that has been led by the massive politicization of this pandemic, um, it has been really hard for people to understand what was going on. Um, and uh, and um, so it is only with that trust uh, that I think the public will follow along with recommendations. And there's been more trust um, in, in this particular state. Um, and there was trust in the state of New York, for example. But it is that lack of trust. And why is there a lack of trust? I've never seen anything more politicized in my life than this pandemic. So I am hoping that that will get better. And then people will understand recommendations and they will follow them. And part of that trust is also trusting the public and not yelling at them. So the trust has to be on both sides. And uh, Dr. Marm Kilpatrick, only about 30 seconds left, uh, but uh, closing thoughts you want to leave our listeners with. I just I would like us all to, um, to realize that there are two huge benefits that we get from uh, engaging in safe behavior. So wearing masks, social distancing, you know, basically having our social interactions occur in safe settings with either good ventilation or outdoors. And that is that we gain both our health. We have less disease and, a, you know, a less both deaths from COVID-19, but also the kind of illnesses we know about, but also the enormous benefits we get to our overall society, both from our schools being open, us having jobs, people having their livelihoods, being able to pay the rent, um, you know, buy food, things like that. And I think both of those incentives are really powerful reasons to help us try to get through these um, next several months together, which is going to be a challenging time. But I feel like those are both really great reasons to, to do our best. All right. A lot of uh, really important insights that uh, we heard there from both of you. A lot of important uh, stuff for all of us to take to heart. We are going to have to round things out there, though. Uh Thanking our guests one more time, Dr. Marm Kilpatrick, who studies infectious diseases at UC Santa Cruz's Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. Thank you so much for being on KCBS In Depth. Thank you. 
Also speaking there to Dr. Monica Gandhi, an infectious disease physician at UC San Francisco. Dr. Gandhi, very grateful for you being here as well. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for listening for KCBS and In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.